Cassandra, do you affirm that in the evidence you will give this commission, you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? As a child of God, yes, I do. Thank you. Cassandra, would you uh, please give us your phone name? Cassandra Marie Murray. Where do you live, Cassandra? In Halifax, Nova yep. Scotia. Halifax. And what do you do for a living? I am a teacher. Fabulous. And where do you teach? Um, currently, I just teach privately. I used to teach, though, in a private school. Okay. Um, which private school or um, school were you teaching at? You want me to name the school? Uh, let's just say private school is fine. Uh, private school, we, yeah, it was a we, private school within the Halifax district. Yes, correct? Okay, yes. There we go. Uh, and how long were you teaching at that private school? That school, um, I was there for I think three years. Three years at that school. At and that school. How long were you were you a teacher uh, overall? How long have you Over been? Over twenty teacher? years. Twenty years. Some significance. Significant experience there. Correct. And what grades or grade did you teach? At the time, at that school, I was teaching a grade one, two split. Grade one, two. That, so that would make the kids about? From s anywhere from six to eight years old. Six to eight years old. Um, <laughs> when the mask requirements came in, you have a mask exemption from a physician. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Um, how was your experience getting that exemption? From my physician? Yes. Um, my physician was really good about it, actually. I went in there and I explained to him why I didn't want to wear a mask, what I felt, how it would impact my health. And he had no problem giving me the exemption. Fantastic. Um, did the school respect that exemption? For a short while, but with um, there was a lot of toxic and um, harmful like situations I was put in, like hostile environment that I was put in because I had that medical exemption. Okay, can you give me an example of such a hostile act that they took towards you? Sure. Um, when I first came in with the exemption. They were not really happy about it. They put it on file, though, so that it was well-documented that I had it. And they said that because I wasn't wearing a mask, um, that I had to, well, they didn't say I was segregated, but I'm saying I was segregated to use a different bathroom. I wasn't allowed to use the same bathroom as the rest of the faculty. Um, I had to use a bathroom that was in the basement that wasn't very clean and was, like, the school had a mold mildew issue, which I was working on with my lungs too. And so that didn't help it at all. And so I had to use the bathroom in the basement. And so every time I had to go to the bathroom, I had to leave the children, run down the stairs, go to the bathroom, come back up and come back into the class. I also wasn't allowed to use the faculty um, room where they took their breaks. I had to go into this small closet that was right beside my room that we used to use as a cubby room. And it was about maybe, I don't know, maybe about five feet wide by about 20 feet deep. There was no ventilation in this room, just the door going out to the hall. So often when I would 
go into that room during break time, during my breaks, um, I would have to leave the door open to the hallway just so I could get some air, fresh air in there. That room was also used that if children were sick, then the child would have to go and be put in there. And if that was the case, then I couldn't be in there and I needed to leave the building. So rain or shine, that's where I was. Um, then uh, the other piece was I couldn't use the bathroom. I couldn't use the faculty room. Can you um, tell me about potential meetings, um, faculty yes. meetings potential? Yeah, so even though I wasn't allowed to use the faculty room, um, I had to stay six feet away from everybody. Um, at a faculty meeting, I was allowed at the faculty meeting where everybody was in the same room and they were six feet apart and I wasn't wearing a mask and some of the other faculty members would also take off their masks and I was allowed in that, but I wasn't allowed in the other situations. So you were able to, and please correct me if I'm mistaken, but you were able to attend faculty meetings with other faculty who were comfortable taking the masks off. Um, were you able to share a lunch space with that same no. faculty? No, I wasn't allowed to go in that, that room where they were doing that. Okay, so and even at one time, if I may, when absolutely. I was sitting in the, that cubby space, like that small closet, I was sitting there and I was doing some work and having something to eat. And um, one of the faculty members, and I was down like near the end, not near the hallway door, a faculty member came by the door. She looked in and she said, I'm going to close this door because you're breathing in there. And she closed the door. And I didn't know what to say. I just, I, I said, fine. And I just, yeah. Close the door because closed the door because I was breathing in there. It's very interesting because I normally don't go into rooms and breathe. Yeah, I think we all have similar experiences. We all tend to breathe no matter where we go. So exactly. unless it's the other place, but we won't go there. So yes, Cassandra, um, how did that make you feel? It was it was really traumatizing for me. It made me feel uneasy. Um, it. You know, I started seeing a psychotherapist to kind of help me through the trauma of what it was um, doing to me. You know, it made me feel really isolated and cut off from faculty members that I had called friends before that now I wasn't a friend, you know, because I wasn't complying. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it was really harmful. It was really damaging to me. And then also, you know, because it was such a, a toxic and... Um, I was, you know, harassing environment, you know, felt like I was policed all the time. You know, they were walking by the room because I had to stay six feet away from the children within my classroom. And which with grade one and two, which is like herding cats sometimes, it's very difficult to stay one, you know, six feet away from them with a mask. So, you know, I would see teachers kind of peeking in the room, like making sure there was no children around me and, things like that. And they would often have parents come into my room to kind of help because the parent would mask and, and I wouldn't. Yeah. Do you, to your knowledge, were any of the other teachers um, policed like that? Not to my knowledge. Okay. Cassandra, because you were in such, uh, such a 
position of, of um, care with, with really the most vulnerable and now most precious treasures, children. Mm-hmm. Um, did you... Did you have any special rituals that you would go through in the mornings to assess them somehow about their, uh, just about their overall health or mental well-being? Yeah, so prior to the COVID protocols, um, I always met my children at the door every morning and shook their hand. We look at each other in the eye, we shake each other's hand, and we say good morning to one another. And it's a good way to connect with the child. It's a good way to get an assessment of what does their hand feel like? What does their handshake like? Is it firm? Is it weak? Is it wet? Is it sweaty? Is it dry? Are they making eye contact with me? And it gives me a good indication of how I can best serve that child that day. And then at the end of the day, we would also do the same thing. But that stopped with the COVID protocols. I had to get creative and inventive. What do you mean when you say you get inventive and creative? Because I still wanted to because I know how harmful it is for a child to be disconnected, um, when they're in a traumatic experience or in in an environment like that where they're feeling fearful, because it was really inciting a lot of fear in the children, um, that to have that connection is really important because they they tend to disconnect. And you can see that. I could see it in the class and how that was playing out with the children. So I thought I need to somehow keep this connection with the children. So I had each child get a tree branch of like some sort, six feet long. And then we decorated the ends. One end was like a red or a pink. The other end was blue so that we always knew what end I would shake the color and they would shake the color. So it wasn't getting mixed up, you know, and we would still we would shake hands with the stick. <laughs> well, at least you were able to creatively form some sort of connection with the kids, even yeah. though the schools and the mandates brought in some rather ridiculous uh, rules and procedures. Mm-hmm. Cassandra, you've been a teacher for a long time. Um, how would you compare the learning environment that was brought in by the school system in at those times versus the years prior? Well, our, our faculty meetings became um, more and more geared towards how to police protocols for COVID and what public health was mandating. And so then our teaching became more fear-based and informed that way with the children. You know, make sure you sanitize your hands every day before we go outside the room. And if I may elaborate on that. Um, So one of the rules was that even if the children were going out into the hall to the bathroom to wash their hands with soap and water, they had to sanitize before they went out just in case they touched the walls. And they had to, like, there was one line going this way and six feet apart, one line going this way, like a coming and going line. So they were watching to make sure I was making sure the children would self-sanitize. And what happened was one of the children came in and she had caustic burns on her hands 
from the sanitizer. And I thought, oh my God, this is awful. Like, why are you doing this? And her parent actually wrote in and said, I do not want my child putting sanitizer on her hands. She's fine to just wash them. So I was very grateful that that parent chimed in for that. Absolutely. You've, you've seen some devastating uh, things physically on the children because of the caustic burns from the overuse of sanitizer. What about their mental state? What about their, when I think back when I was a kid, not that's a good thing, but, um, you know, try to have a happy childhood. And a teacher was that connection, particularly in those very early grades. Mm -hmm. Because really, at the end of the day, you, you do become a replacement parent. For some for little kids that are in their five, six, seven years old. Uh, so, you know, you take on a bit of a motherly, motherly role. And how do you, uh, after the precautions were brought in, how was their learning environment? How, did the, how were the kids? Like, were kids being kids? Or was it, what would you compare it to? So, um, prior to the protocols, the children would go to each other's desks, they would eat together, they would play games together. Um, we, you know, we shared, we would put all our desks together for birthday celebrations, we did all of these things. So after, we weren't allowed to do that. And even outside, they were supposed to be like six feet apart. And they weren't allowed to sing. And they weren't allowed to sing inside. And if they were singing outside, they had to sing six feet apart. So, um, you know, the children become fearful of one another. Their, you know, their self-regulation um, isn't, is, being, is being either stopped or it's going to be delayed because they're unsure of what they need to do and where they need to go. Their cognition, because there was children that were masking in the class, it wasn't mandated at that time for the children to be masked. Um, but some families wanted their children masked, and some families even had children double masked. And you can see the blood drained from their face. Like, they didn't have the rosy cheeks and, you know, things like that. You could really see the difference. So their, their cognition, their rate of taking something in and digesting the education that they were being given, it's like eating a bad meal, right? It wasn't, it wasn't working, and... and you could see that they couldn't keep up or they were really tired or they got tummy aches. See, you get to see a lot of that happening. And I had this special little tent in the room that I had to sanitize every time somebody came in or out of it. But at least it was a space where the child could curl up with their own little blankie and pillow and just kind of regroup a little bit, reconnect in that space, a shelter. So, um, sorry if I'm going off tangent a little oh, bit. We were talking about the kids. And it's very, yeah, very so important. you can see that this, you know, development of self-trust, development in trust in others is starts to get delayed or, you know, or impaired in some way because they're cut off. They just have sensory deprivation. You know, their sense of touch is cut off. Even their sense of hearing could be cut off if they're not hearing their friends properly or somebody that is muffled. You know, other teachers that did come in and had a mask on, you can't probably hear, properly hear tone in the voice, so you, you can't really comprehend what's being said to you. 
And then, you know, so there's a lot of sensory deprivation that was happening there. The sense of smell, taste, all of those things were were slowly declining in the children that were wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And so I found that where typically I had a certain curriculum I was going, I was bringing at a good rhythm and everybody was able to digest it. And now I really had to pull back on that. I really had to have intuitive pedagogy, right? Where you kind of have to intuit what the children's needs are and just meet them where they're at. Absolutely. Um, as with any school system, whether public or private, there will be learning outcomes that should be met or need to be met. Um, so we know that the kids are progressing at a set pace, if you will. Do you find um, that you were able to meet those learning objectives that have been set for those kids? I would say those learning objectives were definitely delayed. Where, like I just said, where, you know, that I had a certain rhythm, you mm -hmm. knew by this time you would be meeting these outcomes. Um, typically, you know, that's how it worked. But they were really pulled back, not just because of the impairment of the children being able to digest the information, but also from the onset of the unnecessary protocols that we were always told to police with the children to make sure they understood the rules, you know, and what needed to happen. So, and then trying to explain that to the children in a, in a, in a way that's loving and kind and warm so that it doesn't further incite any fear. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes, that makes perfect sense, Cassandra. Um, I'm just going to take you back for a moment because, you know, your colleagues, uh, certainly seemed to have an extreme fear of someone that wasn't wearing a mask. How did the kids feel when you showed up in the classroom with no mask? Was mm -hmm. there, was, was, did, did you have to give an explanation as to why you, this teacher is not wearing a mask and some of the, the rest of the teachers are? So with children at this age, uh, typically they're part of the whole. They haven't really quite that come into their own self-individuality. That usually happens around the nine-year nine-year change. So this at this age, it, their consciousness is more part of I'm part of the whole. You're part of me. I'm part of you. So there were some children that were like, Miss Cassandra, why don't you have to wear a mask? And I said, well, no, I just don't. I choose not to wear a mask. And I just didn't want to. I'm not going to get into it with the child. Of course. So, and that was the end of that. You know, I just gave them a very simple answer, and that was the end of that. So, yeah, that was how that was met. But ultimately, they didn't really pay attention because, you know, like you said earlier, they looked to you like children still, like they, they would call you mom half the time, you know, in class and instead of Miss Cassandra. Oh, yeah, sorry, Miss Cassandra, right? Because they're looking for that adult that, you know, is is – giving them, nurturing them, and providing them with an environment of love and warmth. And so they just want to hug, you know, come into the folds of that. And so, yeah, so there was children that would just, like, unconsciously just, you know, want to naturally come up and give me a hug. And I would kind of, like, hide them off to the side, right? Okay, sh we're not <laughs> hugging. <laughs> you know? Um, so, anyway, yeah. Uh, wow. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of, kind of, um, frightening what, what happened and what, what managed to run in and imposed on our, on our children. 
So now I don't really have um, any other questions, but is there anything that you feel you'd like to add before I yeah. defer to the, to the commissioners? Okay. Please go ahead. Yeah. So one of the other things that had happened, just to give you another like picture, is the executive director, um, you know, who's supposed to be impartial and fair to everyone. One day I was walking in close to the office and she was coming out of the office, which meant that we were kind of going by close to one another and she had her mask on. She literally turned her back to me because I was walking beside her. And then after, like, there was a time where we all went online and I won't even get into how detrimental that is for children, but then we went online learning and then when we were coming back from the online learning, it was mandated that all the children and everyone within the school had to wear a mask. Even the little pre-primary ones all had to wear a mask. So they told me, they called me and they said, we can't have you come back to school. We can't, we can no longer honor your medical exemption and we won't, and we can't have you back to school. So what we're going to do is we're going to put you on paid leave, but we're going to have um, uh, a sub substitute teacher lead your class, and you have to provide them with lesson plans. So I did that for a few weeks, and then everybody went off online again. So then um, at the end of near the end of the school year I think it was like the end of May beginning of June I'm not quite sure mm -hmm. but um and this is 2021 uh, they were going to go back into the classroom for one or two weeks and so they said well um we can't have you back in the classroom we can't honor your medical exemption and we won't and so unless you want to wear this helmet that was like, it's called a microclimate helmet. They were willing to pay over $400 for this microclimate helmet that looks like one of those old sea diver helmets. And I thought, no, I'm not, that would just, those children have enough. I am not stepping in front of those children with a, never mind my own trauma of having to deal with that. And I have a medical exemption. So that was where I said no. And so they just kept making this environment for me at the school very toxic, very hostile, you know, watching me all the time, um, all these little things adding up. And I decided at, um, that, you know, this was not in my contract. They were, this was not the terms of my employment. My terms of employment were significantly changed. And so due to the employer's conduct, um, I felt forced to leave my job and I made my decision to resign. Fantastic. I'm <clears throat> so ju just quickly to reiterate, uh, so you had a valid medical exemption from a physician in Nova Scotia and the school chose to disregard it entirely and essentially tell you, you know, your exemption means nothing to us. So if you want to come, you put on a spacesuit, right? And, and, and teach because that would be a wholesome environment to, to them. That's correct. 
Thank you very much, Cassandra. You're very welcome. Uh, I have a couple of short questions. Sure. Uh, you mentioned that, um, I believe you mentioned that there were still faculty meetings going on. Correct. And you'd attend those faculty meetings. Some people didn't have masks on, some, and, and yet it seemed to be okay. My question has to do with the, the intent or the content of those faculty meetings. Um, how much time, if any, in those faculty meetings was spent discussing the protocols for masking, et cetera, versus what protocols should be in place to compensate for the things you were seeing going wrong with children, with their learning being uh, uh, reduced or being impeded and some of the social issues. So my question is how much time were they spending trying to mitigate those coming up with protocols to mitigate the effects of the masks on the children's learning environment? Yeah, um, I didn't, I would bring something up to try to mitigate and I was immediately shut down. So there was very little to none on mitigation and I would say there was probably one third of the meeting was spent on protocols, what we need to do, how we could be better. I even have like an email that was sent out by the executive, by the education director. It was sent out to all the faculty and she specifically named me in this email. And she says, for you, Cassandra, I would ask that you double up on your physical distancing and also supporting the parents who come in to support the class during transitions as well as in class time. So she, you know, so I was, I was really like, um, put in the spotlight because of, which is, was a private thing for me with my medical exemption and that that was like put out through the whole school. So uh, I just want to make sure I understand that they said you had to double up on your distancing. That's what they wanted me to do. So your distancing was six feet. You had to be 12 feet they away from the kids. They wanted me to do 12 feet. How many kids were in the classroom? Um, how many did I have that year? Approximately. I remember, I would say approximately 18. So would it be possible in a classroom to be 12 feet away from 18 children? No. I have one other question, and maybe it's just I didn't understand something about this. I, I thought you said that you weren't allowed to go into the lunchroom and have lunch with the staff? Correct. Did they eat their, their lunch with the mask on? <laughs> I wouldn't know because I wasn't allowed in the faculty room. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I've got. You're welcome. I have two questions. One short question. You are probably have heard, I have never seen it myself because I've been out of the university and school and so on for a long time. But I've heard that there's a lot of uh, issues in the American campus, but maybe also in some places in, in Canada about what the, the so-called safe space and microaggression. That is, people that are sensitive to opinions or, or behavior. And I'm trying to understand what that could represent in an environment, but with teenager or young adult, maybe this is something that can be 
I don't know, manage somehow. But in a school with children like that and amongst adults, which are the faculty, would you, would you compare what you've lived through uh, of something like microaggression? I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that question. I, I know I felt, I felt segregated and I felt discriminated against. I felt, um, yeah, I, I just felt very isolated. So I don't know about the microaggression piece. Sorry. How did you felt emotionally? Oh, emotionally, yeah, emotionally I was really, I was really traumatized. I was really sad and I was thinking, what am I going to do for work now? How am I going to make a living? You know, I can't go back into that environment. They won't even let me back into that environment. So I, you know, I, they made it very difficult for me. So, so yeah, so my whole, I went into this very anxious, stressful state of, you know, fight or flight and thinking, okay, I need to like boots in and just get moving and figuring out what I'm going to do. And that's where I was really grateful that I had um, this doctor that was helping me the psychotherapist, because mm -hmm. she was really helpful to help me get through that stage. My other question, maybe you're not aware of that, but in Quebec, they, they actually conducted a very extensive study to look at the impact of these measures in school, mm -hmm. in the learning process and behavior of the children and so on. Are you yeah. aware of similar study in Nova Scotia? And I'm not aware of similar studies in Nova Scotia directly. But from some of my training um, in working with uh, healing, transdisciplinary healing education, that, you know, working with educating traumatized children, right, and seeing how trauma and these things um, not only have uh, mental health implications and psychotherapy in indications for the children at, at the time, and if it's not um, worked out immediately, it can turn into other illnesses and disease, right? But it also can have a delay in development in their, um, in their development of their organs, in the development of uh, how they move and their growth. So there is a lot that can happen physiologically and psychologically with the children. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Cassandra. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. My apologies. Oh, sorry. Let me take that back for a moment. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. I still appreciate your time, but we have one more question. Yes. Sorry. Hi, Cassandra. I just Hi. want to take it just a little bit bigger, broader. Who determined the protocols? Was it like external or was it the provincial health or was it just an internal within the private school system? We were told that they were getting their mandates from public health. That's what we were told at the faculty meetings. And the school had put together a small group of individuals, um, teachers and parents that um, put together what they felt were the measures that and protocols that our school would be doing. So they were getting this public health from public health. They were getting whatever mandates or protocols, and then they would take that, and then they would implement it in a way for our school following those guidelines. That was my understanding. That's what we were told. Were you ever given a copy of those mandates from provincial health, or you just read about it in the media, that kind of thing? 
Um, I don't recall being given anything. Yeah, I don't recall being given anything. I just, I just remember us being told this is what was happening. Yeah, it was and kind of like an agenda note, right? Yes. This is part of our agenda, but it didn't go into detail. Did you see any discrepancies with what was happening within your private school as compared to other schooling alternatives in Nova Scotia? I'm not from here. That's why I ask. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure what was happening in the public school system because I'm not part of that. I just knew what was happening in our private school. Um, and I didn't know too much about what was happening in the other school systems. I was just really in involved with what we were doing okay and then one final question in terms of incident reporting was there any reporting process within the school system for the hand sanitizer issue um no there was no incident reporting for that it was the parents coming back to say my daughter has caustic burns from this overuse of sanitizer and i don't want her using it anymore so there would be no path to document um what was happening with that child and taking that information, sorry, I just lost my voice, I think. Taking that information to the public health authorities. Not that I'm aware of. Okay, thank you. There, is there one more question forthcoming? No. Um, we do have an audience question for you, Cassandra, as well. The question is, thinking of air quality and our scent-free schools, did the hand sanitizer have any negative impact? As far as scent sensitivity? Yeah, uh, because I mean, usually I find that, and I'm going to presume that whoever's asking the question, are you talking about scented hand sanitizers? Scented no, they, hand they, sanitizers? Because they were, they were both available, I believe, at the schools. Yes, please. have a smell to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, in my class, personally, I didn't notice any scent sensitivities to the sanitizer, only the physical sensitivities of rash, the burns, things like that. You're wonderful. I believe, I believe we've got all, all questions answered now. So thank you once thank again you. very much, Cassandra. Thank you.